Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 17, with Pastor John King. Ephesians, as we finish up, uh, we're going to most likely next month, uh, next Sunday, we're, we're, we're hoping to have a special message from a guest speaker next Sunday. Um, but if not, we'll be ready to uh, finish up Ephesians, if not this week coming this next Sunday, the Sunday after. But for today, please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 6, verses 13 through 17. Ephesians 6, verses 13 through 17. Now you guys know that if you've been following along, we began our discussion last week concerning the reality of spiritual warfare. Learning of God's command and our daily need to be empowered and equipped for the invisible war in the invisible world. The war is mostly invisible to our five senses, although demonic manifestations are real in the sense that we see evil acts of violence, murder, destruction, deception, and wars each and every day. And without a spirit-led biblical understanding, we, you and I, are prone to blame people as the cause and the culprit. Which is why Paul plainly states that we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. Because the war is spiritual and our foes reside in the unseen realm of the heavens, yet have plenty of access to our world, we must be properly equipped with spiritual armor. We must learn how to put on the whole armor of God. Otherwise, we don't stand a chance of victory over temptation and sin. We will lack true wisdom. Our desire to serve and witness for the cause of Christ will shrink and wither away. So as soldiers in Christ, we must be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. This week, we begin to examine our God-given armor piece by piece. Just as a good soldier might take the time to know the weapons of his warfare, so we are being instructed with the details of this, what, what the Greeks would call the panoplia, the entire armor set for a soldier. That the Lord has provided so that what we can do is we can truly stand against the schemes of the devil and his demons. Look at our passage for today. Follow along as I read. Verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for equipping us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we have that assurance ahead of time that if we will follow you, if we will put on this armor, that we can quench everything that Satan throws against us, Lord. Amen. It's possible. It's not, it's not only possible, but it will happen if we walk with you and if we follow your instructions. And so, Lord, just simply open our hearts and minds. Reveal to us what we need to hear today. 
by your Holy Spirit. We pray this now in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. So we, we left off with 13. We also begin this week with verse 13. Our weapons, the weapons of our warfare. He says, take up the whole armor of God, stressing our need from verse 10. And the reason is, is so that you can withstand in the evil day. In other words, to set against or to resist or to oppose your enemy. The evil day, of course, refers to today and each and every day that we live this side of heaven. Whatever temptations and trials confront us at any given moment. And he says, and having done all, he reiterates, stand. To stand is to be one who vanquishes his adversaries and holds his ground. So the mandate is being re-emphasized to stand firm, to stand firm. Paul is going through great lengths to get us to understand the serious nature of this battle and really know who our true enemy is. Lewis Sperry Schaefer said this, The child of God has died in Christ's death, Colossians 3, 1 through 3, and a dead man has no enemies. Nor should the believer recognize any individuals as personal enemies. The enemy to whom the believer is in conflict is such on the ground of the believer's relation to God. The enmity is primarily between Satan and God. And Satan's fiery darts are aimed not at the believer alone as in personal hatred but at the divine person who dwells within you. Satan knows that God the Holy Spirit lives within you, and so that is why he attacks you. We cannot inherit the treasures of the divine person becoming a Christian without inheriting Satan's enmity and hatred toward God. Saints, if, this, if Satan could do it, if God would allow him to do it, he would strike you dead. He would destroy you. Praise God for his protection. And so we begin with the armor in verse 14. He says, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Again, this is the, the command to stand is now repeated for the fourth time. Why? Because God wants you and I to know that his armor is more than sufficient to provide the stability and the protection that we need to confront the enemy. Thank you again, Lord Jesus. Amen. He says, having girded your waist, that means to gird about around about. In other words, to put on your belt. The belt around a soldier's waist held the breastplate in place and provided an attachment for the sword. You know, he's using this, this image or this metaphor, this illustration of a Roman soldier. Why? Because Paul was surrounded by Roman soldiers. At this point, he was writing these letters from prison, and he got to be face-to-face -face with these centurions and soldiers on a 24-7 basis. And he says, gird your waist, put on your belt with truth. The belt of truth is what we're talking about. These are 
What is truth? And, and you know, Pilate, we're going to talk about him. He asked that question mockingly to Jesus. What is truth? Well, objectively, according to the Blue Letter Bible Dictionary, when you're talking about the truth we have here, it's what's true in things appertaining to God and the duties of man, both moral and religious truth. Now we have, the world has its own version of truth, doesn't it? <laughs> but literally it means girding or tucking in a garment with a belt for rapid movement. You've seen the, you know, the Roman soldiers, how they dress, it seems like, it looks like they're wearing a skirt, but I wouldn't call them feminine. And they gird, or they tuck in their robes so that they can have rapid movement. But figuratively, and where it applies to us, is meaning integrity. This belt of truth gives you integrity and faithfulness. Or, better put, truth and sincerity. It's our belt. And it was prophesied of Jesus himself. Isaiah 11.5 Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins. And faithfulness, the belt of his waist. When you search the scriptures for how this one word, truth, is used, you will find it overwhelmingly is tied to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The famous passage recording the Lord Jesus being questioned by Pontius Pilate often comes to mind. John 18, 37 and 38 Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? I mean, is that what you are? Are you a king? He said to Jesus. And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And then Pilate said to him, in a sarcastic way. What is truth? And when he said this, he went out again to the Jews and he said to them, I found no fault in him at all. You remember Pilate was wrestling with this man. He saw that he was clearly innocent and being falsely charged. And he didn't want to put Jesus to death. But he asked that question, what is truth? And I think a lot of us do that today all the time. What is truth? You know, who's presenting it to you? What is the source of it? Who's saying this or who's saying that? Who's the expert of the day? Who's the flavor of the month? YouTube has tons of experts for us with their platforms. And look, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, do we? I don't hate those people. But Satan is a liar. And he works. And so that's why we must stay in the word as we navigate this, this world, like we said last week, it's, it's like walking on a razor's edge sometimes. And of course, the answer to Pilate's question is not settled so much by, you know, factual evidence or ethical truth. It's not some rich philosophical statement or making truth a relative claim as we do today. I've got my truth and you've got your truth. And the real truth lies somewhere in between, I suppose. It's subjective. The true truth is what we find in the word of God. When you want truth, think about it as the true truth, because it is the truth. God cannot lie. 
It's found in the word of God and it is fully and perfectly expressed in who? Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, Thomas, the doubter, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So how do we apply this? You know, what's, what's the bottom line to this piece of equipment, spiritual war armor? Well, notice that the soldier's belt is being used as a metaphor for truth and where truth ties everything together. Truth holds it together. In other words, without, when I'm armed with the truth, and you know, the belt seems like a, not an offensive type weapon, it has a function, but when I'm armed with truth, I'm free to move in service and I'm free to stand against the enemy with a sincere conscience. You see, when you don't have a sincere conscience about the truth and about your purpose in life and the things that God's called you to do, you're, you're constrained. You're not free to serve the Lord. You don't walk in the joy of the Lord. You're not free to stand against the enemy with sincerity. You need to be right. You need to do right things and get before God. Make sure that you have the truth in your heart. Our world and culture has more information to offer and more ways to deliver it than ever before. And let me ask you the question, how is your spiritual battle going? What are you, what am I binge watching? What are we listening to? What are we taking in? Maybe it's time to tighten your belt with God's truth. Amen? Let's look at our next piece of equipment. He says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate is that, you know, it's the Greek or Roman Greek word thorax. In human anatomy, you know this, it's from the neck to the navel, the front section. When you watch Gladiator, the movie, or Ben-Hur, or The Chosen, you see that the Roman soldiers have a breastplate and with an emblem on the front, and that's their identification oftentimes. The breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is really meaning, in a, in a broad sense, it's the quality or state of being righteous and acceptable to God. That's, that's you know, you, you stand righteous before God. It's expressed by purity, integrity, and correct thinking. The Lord makes, brings you to righteousness. And also, you know, Matthew Henry brought up this point. This breastplate of righteousness that we have in Christ also protects us from the arrows of divine wrath. In other words, we will not stand before God in judgment because he sees us as righteous. But it cannot come to a person apart from Christ. No way. As it is written in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one, apart from God. This breastplate is not only representative of righteousness, but it's also representative of faith and love. First Thessalonians 5.8, it says, but let us who are of the day be sober, be ready for the Lord's return, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. 
One writer put it this way, as a form of protective armor, the breastplate serves as a metaphor for the Christian virtues of faith and love. And like armor, these virtues protect believers from being unprepared for the day of the Lord. He supplies believers with armor so that they may engage in spiritual battle against the enemy. Notice also, as we say often here in today's message, but it's God's armor. It's his armor. You didn't manufacture it. He did. Isaiah 59, 17. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and he was clad with zeal as a cloak. Again, how is your spiritual battle coming along? Do you trust in his righteousness? And is it being expressed in your actions by the way you and I live our lives? Or have you found yourself once again in the mode of self-reliance, self-sustainment, your own strength, which always fails in that spiritual battle with the enemy? And so, God's command to you and I, if that's the case, put it on again. Put it on again and depend on him. Hughes writes this, speaking of um, ancient times. He says, in ancient times, before a squire was knighted, he would spend the night in a vigil in the castle chapel with his armor spread out before him as he offered up his soul to God. For he is the one who teaches us the ways of war and fights the battle through our hands and feet. It is in communion with Christ that the armor is set and reset for battle. We must allow him to cinch the belt tight and lower over us the breastplate of righteousness. Thus armed, we may ask that his truth and his righteousness permeate our speech and life. He goes on. The breastplate of righteousness is received and put on through faith as God gives us his righteousness. He clothes us through his son, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It is what, right, what theologians call, he writes, theologians call this imputed righteousness. And if you don't have this righteousness, nothing can save you. But if you do have it, you're safe for eternity. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Next, we see in verse 15, the war boots. The war boots. You think, whoa, then how can the war boots be the gospel of peace at the same time? Let's look at that. He says, and having shod your feet, in other words, having put on your sandals in that day, which were tied and laced up through their ankles, and they would wear these brass shin guards known as greaves, and they had these, stud, these, these sandals were studded with nails, and that would enable the foot soldier to be able to hold his ground. He couldn't run very well in it, but it was for him to move forward in formation, and to hold their ground in hand-to-hand -hand combat. To be protected and to be able to maintain traction in the battlefield. 
But notice for us, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is preparation, the act of preparing. What are you preparing? You're preparing to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. And when you go to do that, you will come under attack from the enemy. And you do need to stand your ground. The gospel, the glad tidings of salvation through Christ. The gospel itself is to be the firm footing of the believer, says one. His walk being worthy of it and therefore a testimony with regard to it. The gospel of peace. To have peace with God. Knowing the peace of God because you have peace with God. Because of the assurance of salvation through Christ. It is well with my soul. If you can sing that. It is well, it is well with my soul. And you will sing that in the middle of the storms of life. The bottom line, as with a soldier standing firm in the battlefield, you and I stand firm in the knowledge that we have through peace with God. And also, as God's messengers, we bring the world the peace of God. That word in Hebrew is shalom, and they would express it as shalom, shalom. Perfect peace. Completeness. Soundness. Isaiah 52, 7, you've heard this verse, how beautiful. Upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. One scholar makes this note. He says, you put on this the shoes of, you know, the, the, the piece, the, you shod these shoes, if you will, these battle boots, that you may be ready for the combat. To be shod with the gospel of peace, to endeavor after that peaceable and quiet mind that the gospel calls for. Be not easily provoked, he says, nor prone to quarrel, but show all gentleness and all longsuffering to all men. And this will certainly preserve you from the great temptations and persecutions, as did those shoes of the brass that the soldiers wore from the caltrops or the galtrops. You know, as you walk in, in battle, they had these things called caltrops. You might know what they are. They're four-pointed little daggers that kind of they can rest on three of their legs in any position they have. And they would throw them out in front of the chariots or in front of the soldiers. And if you stepped on it, it would catch your heel. And it would stop you in your tracks. Very bloody. These four-sided spikes. They were used to slow us down. To slow the enemy down. So when you're shod with the gospel of peace. And you have God's armor. And you bring the truth. You bring your witness to bear. You're not shouting at people. You're not holding up big grotesque signs. Calling them names. You stand your ground in Christ, but you are going to take persecution. You have to be able to suffer under these conditions. And you're going to do it with humility. When we were out at the last prayer walk, there was a big, it was a big gathering there in Raleigh. Uh, and they had, oh, about, I told you this, we had like 450 of us. And there was about eight or nine counter-protesters. 
And they would stand there and bang their pots and they would say, like I said, I won't repeat the most vile things they could, can think of. I mean, you talk about a spiritual attack. And again, this wasn't flesh and blood. This was the enemy speaking through these people because they hate life. They hate, you know, Satan hates uh, people and hates unborn children and seeks to destroy them. And we, as a crowd, you know, we had like 450 people. We could have easily turned around and overwhelmed those hecklers. We could, have we could have done away with them instantly, right? Not a single person would turn around and have words with those folks. In fact, many were praying for them. So let me ask you the question. How is your witness for Christ? What is it that's catching your heel on the battleground? Have you perhaps neglected the peace of God? How's your personal time with the Lord? Do you have devotions? Do you have regular prayer? Do you commit to that? You see, the enemy will always look for ways to trip us up. And the question for you and I is, are we ready each and every day for the soldier's march? Make sure your boots are properly fitted. Next, we have the war shield. The war shield of faith, verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Above all, meaning all the, aside from all the war, our weapons and armor that we've talked about so far, it's not more so than the others, but it all fits together. Taking the shield of faith. Now, notice, instead of putting on, you're taking the shield of faith. You're carrying something in order to use it. For the Romans, they called it uh, the Roman uh, scutum or shield. It was made of two layers of laminated wood, covered first with linen and then with hide, and then bound top and bottom with iron, with an iron ornament just decorating it in the front of it. You've seen that in you know, movies all the time. A man could put his entire body behind it as it absorbed the javelins and arrows of the enemy. And in the case of flaming arrows... Very often the arrow would snuff out as it buried itself in the thickness of the shield. And some of them, they would, they would douse them with water before the battle. During battles, writes Hughes, these great shields would often bristle with smoking arrows like roasted porcupines. Go back and watch Gladiator, just the first part, just the opening scene, you've got to watch it. When they have that battle, it's amazing. Taking the shield of faith, this is faith, meaning reliance, trust, and assurance in God, in his word, in his power, in his love, in who he says that he is. What he promises to you and I, what the Bible says of him, because he's known to be utterly trustworthy. So we put our faith and our trust in God. Blessed assurance, as we sang this morning. Yes. Blessed assurance. Love those hymns. Yes. In fact, according to Hebrews 11.1, 1, you and I can treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. He says, now faith, 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. 
And he says you take up the shield of faith with which you will, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, you say, well, I have allowed the fiery darts of the wicked one to get through to me. And that's true, because you took up the shield, but the shield itself is perfect armor, and it will withstand anything he puts upon you. You will be able to do this. Fiery darts in the battlefield, via light spear or an arrow that's been dipped in a combustible substance and then lit and launched with a bow or by hand. Now by saying all and knowing that the shield of faith is, is reliable, that should add to my trust in God. That should enhance my understanding and of course, the evil darts that come from the wicked one, the evil one, the devil himself and his demons. Taking the shield of faith, you and I can be assured that the fiery darts, and I'll make a list, lust, the darts of temptation, the darts of revenge and anger can all be quenched by our trust in God. The fiery trials that we all face in this life. The tragedy, the persecution, the illness. How about the arrows of doubt concerning God and his promises and his goodness? Friendly fire from within our own camp. Yes, we can hurt one another. We can, we can all be used by the devil at times, can't we? To our shame. But if you and I, especially if you're a victim of somebody's dart, if you're a victim of somebody who's been stabbing you in the back or talking about you in a, in a sinful way, the best thing you can do to remember is Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, you don't get to take revenge. You don't get to be, you know, justified or, you know, uh, approved of no you get to love and forgive now, I'm not talking about physical abuse breaking into somebody's home I'm not talking about somebody who's breaking the law I'm talking about the things that we do the worst the worst things that we do about one another is we bite and we devour one another sometimes it happens you've all experienced it you've been one to do so I have as well to our shame but he says if you're a victim don't be a victim Overcome evil with good. Forgiveness. I'm telling you, that's the fastest way to get over. And sometimes it takes a long time when somebody said something to you that hurts. The fastest way to get over is to forgive them as soon as you can and ask the Lord with all your strength to help you do it. And you know what? That's the, that's the fast track back to a right relationship. Because when you let it fester and you let it stew in your mind as we tend to do... It just gets worse and worse. Perhaps you're dealing with a fiery attack even now. Whatever it is that God has given us a shield of faith in order to see our circumstances from his perspective. Remember that. We have a position of victory. The war has already been won. It may mean that your prayer is simply to affirm that you trust 
And that you trust him to see you through this present storm. We say it all the time. Everyone in life, on that, sh- that slow ship of life, as you're sailing through life, rough seas, calm seas, you're headed into a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. And that's the cycle of life, if you will. That's the things we see. Every one of us. Or those close to us. And it affects us as though we're going through it with them. Next we see the battle helmet of salvation. The blade or the dagger of the spirit. The battle helmet of salvation and the word of God. Which is the blade or the dagger of the spirit. He says, and take the helmet of salvation... And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Roman military helmets were of two types. You had the galea, which was made of leather, and the casus, which was metal. The helmet had a band to protect the forehead and plates for the cheeks, which extended down to the back and protected the neck as well. When the helmet was strapped in place, it exposed little besides the eyes, the nose, and the mouth. The metal helmets, due to their weight, were lined with sponge or felt, Virtually the only weapons which could penetrate the metal helmet were hammers or axes. We're talking medieval, (laughs) talking medieval uh, hand-to-hand brutal combat. And no soldier's uniform was complete without a proper helmet. So we put on the helmet of what? Salvation. Salvation. The hope. The blessed assurance, as we said. What does the helmet do for us? It maintains our confidence. If you ever played football or hockey growing up, you might recall that you thought for a little while that you were invincible once you put all that uniform on. Remember the first football uniform you put on when you were in Pop Warner or whatever? Somebody might remember that. And you ran out there in the field. Some of you might know what I'm talking about. And you're thinking, nothing's going to hurt me until, you know, you got hurt. But... I can recall a time playing football. I got to actually play football after joining the Coast Guard, and we had like an adult league. It was called the Tidewater League, and it was full-on tackle football. We practiced four nights a week, and then we would have games on Friday. And we had an equipment trainer, you know, we had, we had all kinds of stuff. And we'd play the other military bases in the area, in the Tidewater area. And I was a, I was a, I was a lineman, okay? I was a guard. So a guard, a lineman puts their face mask on the offender, on the defender's chest if they can and tries to block them. And there was this guy across from me and he was, you know, he was like Goliath. He was big, <laughs> at least nine feet tall. Um, I think he wrapped his arm with a, with like a cast, you know, to make it and then hit it with one of those rubber, those uh, uh, sh- arm guards. I think he did. And the reason I say that is because he would hit me in the head every play. And, you know, you're like, I got my helmet on, and and you're crashing into this guy. And I had the worst headache. I probably had a concussion afterwards. And these these helmets had inflation plugs. So your your trainer would pump it up with a bicycle pump, and it would have this nice, you know, cushion. Well, this guy knocked all those plugs out of my helmet. I looked at my helmet, and they're all missing. It was crazy. So, yeah, your helmet maintains confidence, unless you have an equipment malfunction. But with Jesus providing that helmet of salvation, we can be assured that whatever happens, whatever happens, 
we will be saved. We are saved and we have victory in Christ. Because his equipment, guess what? Doesn't malfunction. Again, we're to take his armor through life. 1 Thessalonians 5.8, he says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet of hope, salvation. The helmet of salvation protects us from discouragement against the desire to give up, giving us hope not only in knowing that we are saved, but that we will be saved. And this is the assurance that God will triumph, writes David Guzik. So how is your confidence level? Maybe you're embattered. Maybe you're fearful. You know, life may have been pretty difficult lately, and you're not sure you can stay in the fight. And he would say to you, the Father would tell you, Jesus would tell you to take the helmet and put it on. He would say, strap it down tight once again. Because it's his helmet. Yes. The enemy can't take you out because in Christ you are victorious. Amen. And then finally, we have the sword, the sword of the spirit, Makaria. I can't say that right. Anyway, the Roman soldier kept a short double-edged sword with very effective uh, use. It was very effective in hand-to-hand combat. But here we have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul compares the word of God to a sword because it's too sh- it too is sharp. The word of God is sharp and it cuts just right to the heart, to the heart of the matter, quickly, and the word will convict us of our sin. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The sword also serves as a defensive weapon when the spirit gives us a specific word in our time of need. How often have you been in that situation where the word of God has been provided to you? You know, it's been said that the word of God draws the blood of Satan himself. Warren Wiersbe said, if that's true, then there's no better example than when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Remember Jesus three times? He said, it is written... And noting that Satan could also quote the word, for it is written, but he does not quote it completely. He doesn't have the full, he he hides things from us. The bottom line for me as a pastor is to preach the word, and to study the word, and to stay in the word, and to pray in the word. And I would encourage you as well. The importance of hiding God's word in our heart can't be overstated, now can it? Maybe it's time to look once again to a fresh commitment. You know, we make these resolutions at this time of year. How about a fresh commitment to scripture memory? Yes. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. For when we walk, for excuse me, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, for casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, 
and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You know, with all this instruction that we have as we get ready to close, with all this instruction we have on the weapons of our warfare, you might be getting the impression that this Christian life and the battles we walk into are very serious, and you're correct. In fact, your life in Christ and the ability to be useful for Him depends on it. You might think that sometimes we can lay down these weapons, kind of lighten your load, if you will. I mean, who wants to walk around fully armed as a soldier? You want to remove the armor. Until your experience and your understanding of the scriptures tell you otherwise. And in that until our final ascent into the presence of the Lord in heaven, we are never told to relax our guard or to put the armor aside. That said, we will always have our advocate, the Holy Spirit, who helps us and guides us. The Lord Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father, he's interceding on our behalf right now. We also have one another, fellow soldiers who are encouraging, exhorting, and praying for one another. Because the armor is his armor. It's perfectly designed and more than adequate to win each and every battle. Do we always have it on? Do we always follow through? Do we always use the armor? No. Sometimes you and I are going to learn the lessons in life the hard way. Hebrews 12.6 says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. And our next message, and like I said, it'll be the end of Ephesians, we're going to look at one more piece of armor, and that's prayer, our heavy artillery that God has given us. I have the worship team come up. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for our spiritual armor. We thank you, Lord, how you have so perfectly fitted and equipped us to be able to walk this life, to live this life as a Christian. We thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us defenseless. You don't leave us to be cast or to be abused by the enemy, Lord God. You have protected us. May this give us a heart for those who don't even realize that they're lost. They have no idea that they come under the sway of the enemy. Help us to bring the good news, the gospel of peace to all who we encounter, Lord. Father, I pray for divine appointments, even this week, even today, that we would bring the peace of God with us, the assurance, the confidence that our faith brings. the assurance of salvation, the hope that we have, the word of God, the strength to stand firm when the trials and the controversies and the struggles come. Thank you, Lord, that you go before us. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. stand and worship.
to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Take me now I surrender all I surrender all All to Thee, my blessed Savior I surrender all I surrender, make me Savior, holy thine. Let me feel the Holy Spirit, truly know that Thou art mine. I surrender all And all to Jesus I surrender All to Him I freely give I will ever love and trust Him daily live I surrender all I surrender all all to Thee my blessed Savior I surrender all just our voices. I surrender all. I surrender all. No to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you peace. God bless. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, 
verse by verse, line by line. God bless.